You're listening to the John Clark Cast, formerly the Private Practice Workshop Podcast. My name is John Clark. I'm a licensed therapist and a brand builder, marketing consultant, and a guide for therapists trying to build a better business without all the overwhelm. So glad you're here today. I hope you enjoy the episode. Let's dive in. Howard Spector, CEO of Simple Practice, is on the show with us today, and I couldn't be more excited. Uh, Howard, thanks for for being on the show today. How's it going this morning out on the West Coast? Hey, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great. Another another beautiful day in Southern California. Nice. You you guys uh, just moved to a new office, is that right? Yeah, we did. We um, you know, we just in, in brief, we started the company out of my garage in my home office. And, um, you know, uh, a couple years into it, I got tired of working from home and we had, we had kind of a dispersed team. So we got a co-working facility in Santa Monica for three of us. And then that quickly grew and grew and grew. And then about a year, not even, not even a year and a half ago, we moved to a new office in Santa Monica and then just kind of exploded out of that and had to get like two or three satellite offices right, right near that office. And the challenge was the team was really dispersed and it just wasn't really great for collaboration. And this really huge office opened up. Um, just We got really lucky and we moved in here probably a couple months ago. So we've done a lot of moving for, uh, you know, for our company in the past couple of years. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been uh, following along on Instagram and um, there's a lot of cool photos of the office there. It looks like a nice space and certainly nice for people to be able to stretch their legs a bit. Um, as, as the company grows. So that's, that's really cool. Well, uh, man, I'm excited to have you on and I'd really, um, just wanted a chance to, um, talk a little bit today about you and about, about your company, but also about, um, just kind of your journey in this whole thing. I think there's, um, you, you know, everyone knows simple practice, not as many people necessarily know you or how you got here. So I'd love the chance just to kind of, just to kind of open the floor for that and see, um, if we can hear a bit about how you got here and, and kind of where you came from. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's uh, obviously, you know, how anyone got to where they are is a, is a big yeah. question. There's a, there's a lot of, a lot of years to cover, which I won't bore <laughs> your readers or the listeners with all those years, but you know, to kind of give you the abridged version, I, I've done a lot of things. I've had a lot of different careers, I guess, in my mm-hmm. life or jobs. And I started out working in the entertainment business out of college. I'm in LA. I had a lot, I knew a lot of people that worked in that business and it was something that I was interested in. Um, but it just wasn't, ultimately it wasn't for me. I'd always had an interest in technology and ended up working in the, in the tech business as a, a project manager um, for a company that built websites and did things like that. When the dot-com bubble kind of burst or there was a, a challenge in early 2000, I had always been, had an interest in psychology. And there's actually this school that I ended up going to, Pacifica Graduate Institute, that I, I applied to and went to like 10 years earlier. But it was just – it was too early. I wasn't really ready for that experience. But when the dot-com bubble burst, I – I felt really disconnected from myself. I didn't really, I wasn't really excited about the work that I was doing. And I literally woke up one day and thought, you know, I really want to go back. I want to go back to Pacifica. I want to get a degree in psychology. I want to become a therapist. And I applied and I, and I, and I started going. And 
it turned out to just be the, the best decision I ever made um, for a lot of reasons, a lot of personal reasons, just really finding um, a group of people that were like-minded, that spoke the same language, kind of normalized a lot of things for me. Um, and as I started doing my, my, my work as a master student uh, in my second year, you know, you go and you do your training. And, um, I started you know, doing my training and tracking my hours and we can talk about this yeah. a little bit later, the whole track your hours thing, but I ended up creating this product called track your hours. And, you know, ultimately I started thinking about when I'm done with my training and all my hours, what am I going to use to run my practice? And, I just, nothing really resonated for me at the time that, you know, the products that were out there. So I, was, I started just thinking about, you know, how I would go about building a practice management product. And, you know, literally one day it kind of really, it, it kind of crystallized in my head, about how I, how I thought about the product and how I wanted to put it together. And, um, I had been working with a guy who at another company who had a lot of experience in technology and mobile experience. That's Ralph Zimmerman, my co-founder. And we got together one day and I just said, Hey, do you want to do this? And he said, sure. And that's kind of how Simple Practice started. And we just started working on the wireframes and, and putting the product together and hiring some developers. And that was in January of 2012. We developed the product for about a year and a half and before we could actually launch it. So we launched it publicly in June of 2013. And we got our first customer that month. And then the next month, we got a few more. And then it just kind of had a slow build and, and have been working on that business and building out the product uh, ever since and growing the team organically, you know, as we could start, as we started generating revenue, started hiring people. And, you know, we started out with Ralph and I, and now we're up to just over 60 people. That's amazing. There's a lot of growth in a short period of time. And what it reflects is that you tapped into something, you tapped into a need um, for practitioners, right? And what I, what I think is really cool about your story is that you had, um, you had a need and you started thinking about, okay, I, I need, I need to create a solution for myself. And it was the same for, for track your hours. So you created a solution. And then you thought about, well, how am I going to manage my practice? So you created a solution. And I think some of that's how a lot of uh, really great ideas can, can come about is just thinking about what are the problems I see in front of me and in front of my industry and how can I potentially work toward a solution um, to, to really solve that problem. And I imagine you have the same kind of mindset today because the product has evolved so much and even in the past few months has evolved a lot. Um, I imagine you have a similar mindset today, which is what are the problems that clinicians are facing today and how can we help continue to solve those? Yeah, definitely. And even going back to just the basics, which is, you know, starting the business and kind of correlating that to a clinician starting, you know, her, or his practice, it's really, there's a lot of similarities and a lot of it has to do with, you know, this concept I've talked about before, it's like, you know, costs versus investments, you know, when you start a business, any business, whether it's a therapy business, you know, a lemonade stand, you know, simple practice, you know, you have to, you've got to, there's upfront costs, there's things, there's things that you've got to do. And, you know, I think that, and a lot of it, it, it seems risky, because, you know, there's no guarantees. And you know, that's something that I think about a lot when we talk with a lot of the clinicians that use simple practice, you know, people that are hesitant to get into the product, because they're starting a new practice, they don't want to spend the money, you know, people that even have a practice, they say, oh, it's a small practice, they don't want to do it. You know, one of the things that really kind of drives me, it's, it's this concept of like, clinicians are entrepreneurs and small business owners, just like me, there's really no difference. And I think a lot of people, and we've talked to thousands of people, and I've worked with a lot of people as I was doing my training. And one of the things that really struck me is in one 
uh, I was at a, 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 a local chapter of a, an association and somebody was talking about how, you know, she was saying, look, I'm a therapist. My husband thinks it's a hobby. You know, my friends think it's a hobby. And, and how do I really, you know, think about this as a real business? And I, and I, and I hear other people echo that, that statement that, you know, how do I, how do I get people to take it? Like, this is a real business for me. And I think a lot of that comes down to the individuals have to really treat it like a real business, you know, which is investing in it, you know, buying software and getting a good mm-hmm. place to work, things like that. So th- those are the things in my mind that I really want to speak about more with, with folks about really kind of, you know, shifting the mindset, reframing, you know, what they're doing and, and the investments they need to make. We, t- we talked about this um, in a recent series we did. And actually when we kicked off this partnership, um, uh, the sponsorship that, that we're doing together, having simple practice, um, uh, supporting this podcast. And we talked about the ways that, um, simple practice can help automate your business. And of course can simply start saving you money almost right off the bat. Even if you just look at one feature being appointment reminders and going from doing that yourself or doing it manually, even when you're a small practice to the first time you have a client who misses their appointment and that $150 or whatever for that session is gone. And maybe you don't get that money back. Um, could have potentially been saved for you by having the right tools in place. So, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I I do think therapists can have a hard time really looking at what do I need to put into this business in the beginning? And how do I also separate, um, this idea of my money versus the money of the business, right? Especially given that a lot of therapists are quote bootstrapping their private practice and, uh, that creates a certain dynamic right off the bat, you know? Yeah, and it's it's hard because and, and something I think about a lot as well is you know because I you know I went through this you know when when you decide to go to school a lot of folks you know spend a lot of money on school you know they're, they're private schools you know they're, it's two two to four years whatever it is for you know graduate degree costs a lot of money some people take on student loans you know whatever it is and then you go and you got to do your training in California you know we have we have three thousand hours of training we have to do and most times I mean I didn't get paid for it. For most of my training. So you've got people that are making this huge investment in their education, and then they're making a huge investment by working at a clinic or whatever for free or next to nothing uh, to get their training done. So there's this huge expense that goes out and there's, you know, in in their minds or, you know, most people's minds, they're thinking, I've got to get my hours done, my training done, I've got to pass the the board exams. So everything's kind of geared towards that end goal. But and what really I think about a lot lately is that's not really an end goal. That's kind of the beginning because once you get through that whole process and do all those things and get your license, like now is not, now you have to keep going. You've got to, you've got to keep spending, you know, you've got to, you're not done yet. It's kind of just Mm -hmm. the beginning of your professional career, you know, post license, you know, and it's hard for some people to wrap their heads around that because again, at the end of that long journey to get licensed, you're pretty exhausted. I mean, it's a marathon or it's multiple marathons, but you know, that's, that's the time you really have to start thinking, or I would say even before you're done with your hours or your training, you know, that's when you need to start really thinking about that next phase, which is you know, starting your own business. Yeah, and I think a lot of therapists struggle with this, this idea of kind of how how quickly should I grow or when and how do I grow? So, and I'm sure there's obviously been parallels for, um, for simple practice as a company, which is looking at... Um, looking at the revenue for your company and going, okay, when is the right time to hire this person or a 
you know, a, uh, a director of marketing or whatever the position might be. Right. So I think therapists, uh, have to navigate that challenge as well on their own scale, even for a very small solo practice and figuring out what, what's the right, um, pace for growing my business. And when do I add on, um, the, the right expenses at the right times while still maintaining the right kind of profit for myself. Yeah, exactly. And, but I think also about when I think about that, I mean, obviously the, the, where my business would differ from a therapist business is, you know, a therapist for the most part, uh, you know, and a lot of people that do that type of work, which is kind of like, uh, you, you only really get paid for when you're, you're, you're sitting in the room working with someone, you know, for us, you know, we built a business where, you know, people are signing up for simple practice and using it, you know, while, while I'm sleeping. So it's, it's a different model that way. But, you know, for a clinician, um, to think about, you know, how do I, how do I take care of like the, the basic, you know, business needs? You know, how do I get the infrastructure set up? You know, what am I doing to market my practice? Do I've got, do I have a good website, you know, a good enough website? Do I have some kind of practice management solution in place? It doesn't have to be simple practice, it, it, you know, whatever it is, something in place that's going to allow me to free my time up to focus on maybe networking or marketing or doing the things that I need to do to build, to build my book of business, you know? So it's really, getting the basics in, in place. And I know we, we want to talk a little bit about this, about wearing different hats and doing different things, but it's really about identifying, you know, what should I be working on and what should I not mm-hmm. be working on? You know, what do I need to hire an expert for like SEO sure. or whatever it is at, versus trying to figure it out well, myself? Yeah. And that's, you've actually tapped into something that's really paramount on this for this show and for my kind of philosophy and in coaching and teaching therapists which is your ability to draw that line um, and figure out where should I spend my time what are the things I should be doing versus not doing is a huge part of of success overall in building and scaling a business there, there are a lot of things that you you could do in your business especially when you're starting out and yet there are other tasks that only you can do right like showing up or forming new relationships with referral sources or whatever that might be or seeing your clients right so there's that line might right. you know gets a bit more clear for clinicians as they start to scale um i want to go back for a second i still because i think track your hours was such a neat tool <laughs> and it solved a real problem yeah. for me when i was in california starting my licensure process and the nonprofit i was working for in san francisco said well i think someone around the office has a spreadsheet that you can use and i'm thinking okay I, you i'm going to use this spreadsheet to track the next three thousand hours you know of of my right. pre-licensed career and then someone else said well there's this tool called track your hours and the rest was history for me. So I used that tool all the way to licensure. Um, right. Yeah. How do you know when you have a good business idea with, with track your hours being an example of that? Well, you know, I, I, for me, it's really come down to intuition and just my, my gut. Um, and it's, it's like when I, when I know, I know, um, I've talked about this in another podcast. Um, it's like, when I know, I know, and when, and when I trust that, things usually work out really well. When I, I don't trust that or I second-guess myself, I end up regretting that and, and realizing I should have really trusted myself. I mean, I've been, I think I've been lucky or fortunate or whatever. I mean, I get kind of hit with these epiphany moments in my life. You know, one was, you know, going to grad school. Uh, that was a great decision. One was, you know, thinking about doing track your hours. Another one was, you know, simple practice. And these are things that literally just like when I came up with the idea for track your hours, here's what I was doing. 
I was working at an entertainment marketing company because I just needed to make some money while I was mm-hmm. getting my hours. And I was, and I would go into the office. I, I'm a early, I get in offices early. It's just a habit. So I'd go into work every morning and I would sit uh, on the floor of my office and meditate. And one morning I was meditating and I just, my mind started to wander as it does when one meditates. Uh, and I started just thinking, you know, my, about my hours. And I started thinking, you know, why isn't there some kind of like online hour tracking program that just allowed me to do this really simply? So I literally just, I, I opened my eyes, I got up and I went to my computer and I started looking for something and I started thinking, you know, tracking your hours, track your hours. Let me go to GoDaddy and see if trackyourhours.com is available. And it was, and I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to buy this. So I bought it. And then a little, that afternoon, there was an engineer that worked upstairs in the company that I was in. So I went up and talked with him and I said, hey, listen, this is, this is what I want to do. You know, can you do this with me? And you know, engineers will always say yes. <laughs> yeah. Of course, they can do they can do anything. Um, so we just started working on it that afternoon, and that's how the business started. And and it, it was and I I did a lot of networking and just went out and talked with people, and it just it grew by word of mouth. And over the years, it, it got bigger and bigger. I ultimately sold Track mm-hmm. Your Hours. Um, I sold it shortly after I started Simple Practice because I just couldn't really do both things at once. And, uh, and I also needed some money to basically, you know, bootstrap simple practice and, you know, pay developers and invest the money in the business and be able to not have to have an income sure. for a little while while I just focused on simple practice. The, but yeah, so, but your question was, how do you know yeah. if it's a good idea? I mean, you don't, but a lot of it comes down to trust and, and, and you have to really be willing to take a risk and and again, make those investments with no guarantee of success. Did, did you, you know, think and about early on for Trek Your Hours, how much is this idea potentially worth or how much is this tool potentially worth? Not at all. And I didn't even do that with simple practice. I didn't go into that business mm-hmm. thinking, oh, I want to sell this business or how, this is how much money I'm going to make. I just did it because I, I, I needed it for mm-hmm. myself and I knew it would be valuable. And look, when I started it, I think I charged 25 bucks a year or $35 a year, something ridiculously yeah. inexpensive. Um, and people, believe me, a lot of people complained about how much money it costs. <laughs> um, but, you know, it just, I, I didn't do it for the money. I didn't do simple practice mm-hmm. for the money. I did it because I just, it was this idea that I, I it's almost like I could yeah. not do it. It's like, I just had to do it. And I think that's maybe that's when you know that you've got a good idea. If there's something just so compelling that you just you can't not do it, you have to just move forward. Then don't think about what's going to happen down the road because you don't know. Just go heads down, work really hard, and 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 do it from a place of integrity, you know, with with good intention. And to me, it sounds kind of naive, but that's what I've done, and it's worked out really well. You know, dealing with fear is another big component in building and scaling any kind of business, a private practice being, you know, our most relevant example. But <laughs> yeah. um, how, how do you deal with fear around, um, you know, what could happen in the business or what could go wrong or how am I going to deal with competition? How do, how do you, um, yeah, how do you deal with that? Well, I've gotten better <laughs> over yeah. the years. But there's a great book by Andy Grove, who was one of the – he worked at Intel for a long time. He's a very famous Silicon Valley guy. And he wrote a book. It's one of, one of my favorite business books. It's called Only the Paranoid Survive. And it's a great – it's a pretty harsh title, but it's a great story. And it talks about just being aware of what's happening in the market and, and, and you know, and, and using that to grow your business and, and make decisions about, you know, pivoting and redirecting. But – Look, I'm a I'm I'm a pretty paranoid person when it comes to business. You know, I'm I'm always on the lookout what's happening in my space, what people are doing. Um, 
you know, it, I get concerned when I see something sure. happening. Um, it used to, it used to really affect me a lot more than it does now. Uh, I realized a few years back that it's a great, it's a great, it's a great fuel for me. Like when something comes around and it scares me, a competitor does something, I get scared for a second. Then I, then it just, it energizes me to work harder or do something different or push forward in something that I kind of knew in the back of my head I should be doing. Um, it, it becomes a driver for me, but you know, there's always fear. There's fear of because many times with, with tractor hours and, and more so with simple practice. Cause I had, I had all my life savings invested in this business where, you know, I could have lost it at the drop of a hat. And that was really hard to deal with, especially when, if the site goes out in the middle sure. of the night, you know, and I get pained or when a customer decides to quit, you know, it's like, to me, you know, it was like this catastrophic event, like, Oh my God, how am I going to pay for my kid's college? Yeah, you know, yeah. someone, someone decided to leave. <laughs> um, you know, it gets, things get intensified, you know, the more skin you have in the game. And, you know, as I was getting older, my kids were growing up and I had everything invested in it. You know, it was really hard at times. Um, and, you know, it's like a roller coaster. Sometimes you, know, you wake up in the morning and there's a, an email from someone telling you how much they, they appreciate the product and you're, you feel really great. And then by nine o'clock that morning, it's like, someone's got a problem and you feel yeah, like shit, totally. you know? So it's like, it's this, it's this constant roller coaster. And when you, when you have a product and you do it to scale, meaning even just a hundred people, um, you're going to get all mm -hmm. those different responses from the people who love and adore you and everything you do and your company does. And then people who are going to have problems, who are going to, you know, who are going to throw you off, um, who are going to, you know, yeah, take issue. And, and then when you scale to into the thousands or, or in simple practice case, the tens of thousands, um, it gets even wider. Right. But, you know, I think, in one of the uh, uh, leaders at the nonprofit I used to work for in San Francisco would always say, whatever we focus on grows. So certainly if we focus on that smaller mm -hmm. portion of people who are taking issue, that's going to feel really big and that's going to dominate our day and dominate our minds. If you focus on the 95% of people who are your raving fans, that's going to dominate your day and dominate your mind. You know, So I think um, that has a lot to do with how we you know, recover from those those bumps in the road. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think that, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've really gotten used to over the years is that, look, a lot of people have great things to say about our product and, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And, and we've got an unbelievable team and everyone here is really deeply bought into our mission and really cares, you know, but it's really, it's the people that tell us what we're not, maybe not doing well, you know, or when we, when we screw up or if we forgot something, whatever it is, it's like, that's what really gives us great information and helps us adjust the product. We have a lot of very passionate, you know, customers mm -hmm. in our community that are very vocal and outspoken, which, you know, most, a lot of companies would kill to have, you know, that kind of engaged yeah. community. So it's great to have people challenging us all the time because we, we listen, we take that information to our, you know, our product roadmap mm -hmm. meetings. We adjust things a lot of times, you know, if, if, you know, there's enough people saying the same thing. So, we really embrace that. It's, it's fantastic to have people engaged because that means they totally. care and, and we, and we do too. Well, and I think they understand. I think therapists generally understand that everything is a work in progress. Um, EHRs have only been around in therapy, private practices for some time. Um, and so things are constantly evolving as they should. And that means that, um, yeah, that means that it's a product that is constantly evolving and growing just as our industry evolves, just as, for instance, people are doing more therapy online. So simple practice is 
right. offering a feature around that. So I think that's the cool thing is that a lot of people do get that and it's kind of neat to see where the product is going to go. You, a lot of our listeners spend a whole lot of time on Facebook and a lot of therapists connect in our in different Facebook groups. I have a big Facebook group, for example, and then Simple Practice has the Facebook group um, community there where a lot of people can, can talk about the features they're enjoying, the features they'd love to see, their experiences with the product. And it seems like you all are really um, response, responding to that. I know you have someone on your team managing that Facebook group and really connecting with that community. So uh, I've just noticed that and it's been kind of a neat thing to, to observe. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, Jillian, she has That's a right. Facebook community among a lot of other great things that she's doing for, you know, for, for the company. Um, it is it is amazing to have an engaged community and have someone really, you know, on our team really participating with them and, and speaking with them. And like I said, you know, I, I look at the, the, the Facebook stuff all the time. Other people do as well. You know, these are things that become part of the fabric of our company and, and help inform, again, the decisions that we make about what to do. It's great when you have people that are constructively criticizing the product. You know, it's more challenging when you have people that are kind of destructively sure. criticizing. Um, and going back to what you said before about, you know, software is evolving, things like that. You know, a lot of people, you know, don't know that, you know, they feel like, you know, they don't understand that software is complex and it, it evolves and something that seems really, it's almost like the, the more simple something seems to be able to do, it's actually the more complex yeah. it is. So a lot of times, you know, it's frustrating for me because I really want to explain to people like why something is the way it is or like, hey, we're working on it, but you might not see something for a long time because we've got to make a lot of changes behind the scenes. Um, you know, and it's like for every request that we have, I guarantee you I've got 10 more requests in my totally. head. It's like <laughs> I've got a longer list than anybody of the things I'd love to yeah. see in the product. And, and I, figuring I know out which that, one should you, know, you all should execute next, I imagine, is a big part of your your leadership right the company is figuring out like out of all the things we could do you know to to continue to develop our product what's the next thing we should do is, is that is that true yeah yes yeah that's a very that's one of the most challenging things because again there's there's a never-ending list of things that we know we want to do and should do and again you only have so many resources and so much time and you're never going to please everybody and inevitably the decisions you make are you know like if we do telehealth you know, we, we put effort into telehealth. So someone's going to say, you know, why, why are you doing telehealth? I don't care about telehealth. You know, I want you to like go do this other thing, you know? And so it's, it's just, you can't, you're never going to be able to please everybody. Um, but hopefully over time we add more and more things and we do more things and, and there's less and less people that are unpleased with the decisions we're making. Uh, but uh, you know, also it's like, you know, what I'd like to, to let people know, it's like, look, we're, we're here. We're all these people are here working for our community, working for our customers. You know, we're, we're in it together. Like we're with you, you know, not against you. Um, and, you know, we're trying to make the best decisions we can. And, you know, again, the more feedback we get and the more information that we have, you know, the better able we are to prioritize things and do things. It's a, it's a very human approach to a software company. Don't you think? <laughs> um, I like yeah. to think so. I mean, I like I, to think, I, I think less about software, yeah, about people. Exactly. You know, it's like I like to say, you know, when, when you when you use our product, you know, you're you've got sixty plus people that are working mm -hmm. for you. You know, that are working, you know, to try to solve your problems, try to make make things better for you. We've got an amazing success team here that's that's here for you. So, you know, it's it's people that are here um, to help yeah. you know help our community do do the work that they're doing, and that's what I mentioned before about the mission. Again, our mission is really about 
helping clinicians do the do the work in the world that they're doing. Everyone here really believes in in the value of that and how wonderful it is. So that's what really drives everyone to work as hard as they do here. It's it's not just about software. It's about what our software is enabling people to do. Yeah, going going beyond just the product itself and looking at yeah, that what the product, what kind of transformation the product can um, can create for the people who use it, for the therapists who use it. And I think going back to the relational component, it's just that much more important in in our industry and in working with therapists for therapists to feel like you care. You know, um, we we know that. I think that's just an an extra um, or, or, or kind of a unique layer to, um, to to our industry in particular. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I have. Um, well, I have my own reasons for why I like simple practice. One of them, which I don't think is <laughs> is not necessarily something you all like promote or put at the forefront of things or say explicitly, but to me, the aesthetic of a product I use is super important. Like, for instance, there's an app I use to invest in stocks, and it's called Robinhood. I love the aesthetic of Robinhood. I like the interface. I like I like the way it looks, and I like the way that I feel when I'm using it. Does that make sense? So. Oh, Can absolutely. you talk a you bit know, about I mean, the aesthetic and why that part's important? Because I, you and I haven't talked about this, but I just have a feeling that that part is not accidental, that that it's functional and also, I, I, I think, beautiful and aesthetically um, uh, designed. Well, yeah, well, thank you. Well, you know, it's it's a touchy subject for me because I, you know, when we first started the business, we actually had a designer that was going to join the team at the beginning and and it turned out that he, he just, he didn't for whatever reason. So we kind of got stuck with some basic designs that like Ralph and I had to kind of just iterate sure. on ourselves and kind of build up product, you know, like that. But even, even those designs for a lot of people seem to be really, really so, good. So some in of my mind, still um, kind of seen in the product. Yeah. Some of them are the which, basics which of them, but it wasn't until, well, I mean, I can't point to specific okay. things. Everything's evolved a little bit, but look, design for me has always like been paramount. So it was really frustrating for me um, that we didn't have a designer early on, uh, and then we, we kind of cycled through some contractors. And it wasn't until a, maybe about a year, year and a half ago, that we we brought our first you know full time designer onto the team. Um, now we've got you know three folks that are dedicated to our design team. We've got you know, just three amazing you know, product designers who come from deep experience in product design and in, in other, you know, and other things. So what people are probably seeing now, it's like, we're really going through the product. We're making a lot of updates. Uh, we're trying to bring uniformity to the product. You know, for a long time, I couldn't even look at the product because there were so many inconsistencies and in font sizes and padding between elements and things like that. When I look at it, that's all I see. Most people don't see those things, but yeah. So, and I feel like the you know for every inconsistency in a product, you know these things kind of add up. And I believe that you know even if you even if people aren't conscious of it, they're they're unconsciously taking that in, and it kind of diminishes the credibility. And I feel like, you know, when you see it, when you see a, a mistake in a product, you probably or, or I think, wow, if they made a mistake there, where else are they making mistakes? Sure. So, I take these things really seriously, and it's been the biggest cor- the biggest frustration for me over the years of not having great designers until now. So. It's it's important for people to be able to utilize a product without a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. There's actually a great design book called Don't Make Me Think. Yeah. And it just talks about how look when you go to a, a website, for example, you shouldn't just you should just intuitively know what to do. 
and not have to think too much about it. I mean, obviously, the more complex products get, and simple practice has gotten you know more complex with the more things we've added. You know, it's really up to us to figure out how do we build it in such a way or provide great support or contextual yeah. support that allows you to quickly know what you need to do. Simplicity is key. Um, yeah, people know that I'm uh, spend most of my time nowadays helping therapists. Um, clarify their message, both in terms of the copy and how they explain what they do. It's a tremendous um, challenge for a lot of therapists, given that we're really good at talking shop. And you and I could sit here and I could talk to you about all the CBT and DBT and EMDR that I do. Um, And that would sound fine and fancy. um, But when we try to explain what we do to clients and we try to use third grade language, um, we we lose people very quickly. Same goes for... um, the way a website operates, right? And um, Donald Miller of StoryBrand, you know, talks about um, you want people to burn as few calories as possible, <laughs> as, as necessary to get what they need from your website. And I think sometimes as therapists, we tend to overdo it a bit because we feel like we've got to get it all in or we've got to create something really fancy when in fact, a really simple website with a really clear message, a really clear call to action that almost leaves you wanting more, almost like a, like a good pop song um, is a better route to take because once you, once therapists can get a potential client on the phone, um, they, they can usually do the rest of the, the job at that point, you know? Yeah, I agree. And it goes back to what you mentioned before about fear. And again, I think I talked about this in another podcast. Yeah. You know, it's really, I think there's, especially for folks that are starting a new practice, for example, like you, you want to be able to like put out into the world that you do everything for everyone mm-hmm. because you don't want to miss a client. Correct. And I would argue that, you know, if you really, if you pick one or two things and be really specific about like, this is what I do. Like if you go to a networking event and you just say, you know, I, I work with, you know, people that are, you know, I, I only work with couples, mm-hmm. you know, that are, are contemplating the divorce, mm-hmm. just making this up, right. you know, and you talk with people, they're going to remember you a lot more than if you go in and say, Oh yeah, I, I work with everybody. Yep. You know, I do, I do everything. And a lot of like, if you go to psychology today, you look at people's profiles, they've checked off every single box. Yeah. yeah for and, fear of missing out on some part of the, some small part of the the greater whole. Yeah. And it, I, I, and it takes, it takes courage to not do that. Um, and it might take you a little bit longer to build a practice, but you're going to build the practice that you want to build and the one that's right Mm -hmm. for you rather than have a bunch of clients that maybe not, might not be the best fit or not what you're really passionate about. And maybe you don't know initially. So you take everybody, then you kind of start thinking, wow, I really like these kinds of folks. You know, know. people can generally, um, in our minds and not just for therapists and private practice, generally we need them to be known for kind of one thing. So it's like, Michael Jordan is known for being a basketball player, not for his short unsuccessful stint in baseball or as a baseball player. Um, but it's, I I think you're right. And it's similar. Um, just yeah. With any kind of business that people want to see you, remember you, remember your name and remember it uh, paired with something, um, or with something pretty specific. So, and yeah, therapists do have, um, you know, a hard time letting go of all these other possibilities. The reality is, even specialists are generalists in a way in that if I get, you get someone in the door to do EMDR for complex trauma, you're going to end up doing other stuff. You're going to end up helping them with their drinking or their anxiety or their relationship or whatever it is. So the way that, you know, another way to look at niche is it's a, it's a way of getting people in the door. It's a starting point for people. Whereas in reality, yeah. we all end up working with a, a, a nice variety of issues 
um, even if you build a yeah, pretty, I agree. pretty niche practice. So, um, well, Howard, this is, this has been a lot of fun, man. I'm going to have to have you back on the show. And I, I think there's a lot that, um, that therapists can learn from you and, um, in developing that business mindset and scaling a business and dealing with fear. I mean, this just, it's a lot of great stuff with a lot of application for, for therapists and private practices. So, um, is there anything else you wanted to kind of throw in there or something that you feel like was kind of unsaid that you wanted to, uh, to, to say to our, our audience? No pressure. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, no pressure. Well, it's a big, again, a big question. I could talk for hours about a lot of different things. Um, <laughs> You know, again, I think it's really just the the whole idea of like uh, you know cost versus investment is a really big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Just you know, making sure that you're setting your business up the right way. Um, and you know, I think we alluded to this earlier about like you know what should you be doing versus what should you not be doing. Mm-hmm. Really being clear about that, you know, and making sure you hire professionals that are 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 that's their job to like build your website or do your SEO or help you with your marketing. You don't have to know everything and be able to do everything. You know, do your great work as a clinician and, you know, have experts or use tools to do the other things for you. Um, and don't try to do it all. Definitely. Yeah. That's, that's great stuff and great, great lessons to, to implement or take away from, from today's episode. Um, well, so, Howard, I think people probably know where they can find out about you and about about Simple Practice. Um, we do have a special link that we've been using in our um, uh, sponsorship the past few weeks. So I'll just go ahead and say that link. It's a special link. We'll put it in the show notes. But um, you can try Simple Practice absolutely free for 30 days using the special link ter.li forward slash simple that's t-e-r dot l-i forward slash simple for a free 30-day trial check out the product I've, I've told you guys before this is my ehr of choice i've used it since the very beginning of my career in private practice in san francisco while i was using track your hours um and i continue to use it to run my group practice today so i, I can't say enough about it and like i've said before i'm just happy to be partnering with Simple Practice um, for the show. So, H- Howard, thanks again for being here, man. And like I said, I'll have to have you on again. Um, but I just appreciate your time a lot today. Yeah, well, thank you. And thanks for all the great work that you're doing. And I'm, I'm very excited about our partnership. And uh, I love the podcast. And I'm happy to come on anytime if, if you're, you know, if, if folks feel like, like, like I'm, I'm a good person to have on. So, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks again, man. We'll see you soon. All right. Take care. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the John Clark cast. I'm your host, John Clark, licensed therapist, brand builder, marketing consultant, and guide for therapists. I help therapists build a better business without all the overwhelm. Do us a big favor and rate, review, and subscribe to our show on iTunes. Hope you have a great week. See you next time.